Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Kat Rutterpooley. Seven opposition Labour MPs, dissatisfied with the polarisation of politics around Brexit, have launched a political faction called the Independent Group. Shona Jenkins spoke to Henry Mance, our political correspondent in Westminster, on whether the group can succeed in its aim of building a new politics in Britain. I am leaving behind a culture of bullying, bigotry and intimidation. I look forward to a future serving with colleagues who respect each other and who are committed to working together for our great country. We've all been Labour members of Parliament for very many years, in my case more than three decades. But the Labour Party we joined, that we campaigned for and believed in, is no longer today's Labour Party. We did everything we could to save it, but it has now been hijacked by the machine politics of the hard left. So, Henry, we've just heard Luciana Berger and Chris Leslie, two of the newly formed independent group of defectors from Britain's opposition Labour Party. The strength of their disapproval of Jeremy Corbyn's leadership is clear. You've been watching this split developing for a while. What's your view about how widely this disaffection is shared throughout the party? Well, it's certainly a lot bigger than the seven MPs we've seen this week leave the party. You know, you could set one benchmark of... To be the third biggest party in Parliament, in the House of Commons, this independent group would need 36 MPs. Now, there are certainly 36 MPs in the Labour Party who are very unhappy with Jeremy Corbyn on Brexit, on economic policy. It really gets to the point where these people don't just believe that Jeremy Corbyn's doing a bad job of winning over voters. They actually don't want him to be prime minister. They don't think he would be good for the country. So there is a much bigger pool for this group to fish in. How have the Labour Party leaders responded? Jeremy Corbyn himself put out quite a conciliatory statement saying he was disappointed that they were leaving and reminding them they'd been elected in 2017 on a platform of his policies, which are fairly radical, high taxes, nationalising various industries, etc. Vince Cable, the Lib Dem leader, on the other hand, said he would be open to working with these people. So you can see a potential alliance there opening up. But the most interesting intervention was probably from the Labour Party deputy leader, Tom Watson. Now, he's someone who doesn't get on with Jeremy Corbyn, who's much more of a moderate. And he basically sympathised with these people. He said, unless we change, we'll have many more days like this. Uh, He said, I love this party, the Labour Party, but sometimes I don't recognise it. And I think that was a really interesting test for Jeremy Corbyn, because it basically said, you've got to change or otherwise other people will be justified in leaving. So it's almost given cover to more people to leave the party. The group of seven issued no manifesto at its launch. So what are their aims and do you think they can succeed? The no manifesto thing, I think had they issued a manifesto and had they tried to put costings against a particular policy, it would have been torn down. They tried very much to emphasise it about values. Now, each of the seven got up and gave a statement really about their personal story. A lot of it was about how long they'd spent in the Labour Party, how passionately they had once felt about the party and how sad it was for them to have to resign. Luciana Berger obviously spoke about the problems with anti-Semitism. Chukramuna spoke about being mixed race and how his immigrant heritage had taught him what Britain could be and, and 
and mean. So they were trying to focus very much on values. And there's a statement of principles out, which is very high level. It criticizes Jeremy Corbyn for his attitude to business, says he's too hostile on that, his approach to national security. And you can obviously read across the things like Jeremy Corbyn's unwillingness to condemn the Venezuelan regime or the Russian regime of Vladimir Putin or to sanction military action in Syria, for example. So I think it's fairly clear where this group's unhappiness with the Labour leadership is. The difficulty is, can you have those grievances against the current Labour Party and not fall into the trap of being a Tony Blair Mark II? Now, there's a general, I think, consensus that the electorate wants something more radical than they did in 1997. It's not a case where the economy is growing very fast, the tide is lifting all boats, and people just want a sort of a bit of extra redistribution on the top. The parties that have done well, and you think of UKIP in its heyday, or indeed Jeremy Corbyn's Labour, have been offering something pretty radical. So the difficulty is being both a moderate force economically, and yet giving people radicalism in some way. And the model maybe is Emmanuel Macron in France with En Marche. Can you elaborate more on the idea of a new Macron for Britain, a sort of en marche for the UK? Yeah, uh, you know, this idea has been around since Macron was elected. And basically, it falls down at the hurdle that Britain's electoral system is very punitive to small parties. The most amazing example is the Social Democratic Party, which split off from the Labour Party in 1981, when the Labour Party was very, very left wing. And the SDP was formed by these big beasts. It went into the 1983 election, and it won almost as many votes as the Labour Party. Incredible achievement. But it only won 23 seats, while the Labour Party won more than 200. And that's because unless you concentrate your vote in very specific areas under Britain's electoral system, you come away possibly with nothing. So the comparison with Macron, who benefited also from various dynamics that people know in terms of his opponents imploding, it's rather difficult to make. However, I think what these people are hoping for in the UK is that if you come up with it with passion, if you can convince people that you are credible, you're charismatic, etc., then there is a willingness to consider new options here. People are not massively happy with Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn as party leaders. In polls about who would make the best prime minister, you know, don't know often comes top, which is a source of jokes inside Westminster. These are not times in which our political class is held in particularly high esteem. So an outsider has the possibility of coming along and doing something potentially impactful. You talked about this search for an alternative, but how much political credibility do these seven actually have? Well, they're certainly not on the same level as the four people who formed the SDP. You know, they're not people who have held the great offices of state. They have very little ministerial experience. Chukramuna is probably the best known of them. And he was shadow business secretary under Ed Miliband. So he wasn't part of the Blair and Brow governments they will be coming from a lower base. And it's even hard to see which sort of heavyweights could come across. I mean, one obvious candidate would be Tom Watson, the Labour deputy leader, who is obviously unhappy with the party. But even he, he's not someone who is massively known in the country at large. They could have a couple of Conservatives come across. But again, these are people who are better known in Westminster than outside in the political world. So they're starting really with not much infrastructure, with low name recognition. And, you know, as one of them, as Chris Leslie said, you know, he understands the healthy British cynicism that there is about this idea. But on the other hand, couldn't their outsider status be an advantage given the dissatisfaction with political parties that seems to cut across party lines at the moment? Yes. And one of the huge unknowns here is Brexit and how that plays out. So there is one reading in which Theresa May comes back from Brussels with a slight tweak to her deal. The Conservative Party accepts it, goes through, and we go into a stabilising phase of British politics. 
But there is another scenario in which people on both sides of the political divide are very, very unhappy with how Brexit ends, either because they feel that Jeremy Corbyn has sold them out on the Labour side or that Theresa May has sold them out on the Conservative side. And in that case, a party that promises that it could do things much better, that let's forget about, let's move on, you know, it could have some appeal. So what impact do you think that this new grouping will have on Brexit itself? Well, I think they will continue to vote the same way that they have done. So the next big date is February the 27th, and they'll have a chance to vote against the possibility of a no-deal Brexit. Yvette Cooper and Nick Bowles have a plan about how you would extend Article 50, extend Brexit talks if there's no deal by the middle of March. And so these MPs will be a force lobbying for that. Now, the real question beyond that is whether either they can team up with Yvette Cooper in the medium term, that depends on her intentions, we don't know. Uh, Nick Bowles has said maybe he'll join. Or whether the mere presence of this anti-Brexit group, which will now have more profile, better organisation, we presume, whether that can shift Jeremy Corbyn. And it may do, it may not. I think it's likely to be marginal on his calculations in the next couple of weeks because he is basically balancing the fact that many Labour members would like a second referendum against the fact that to win a majority in the House of Commons... The Labour Party has to win seats in the North and Midlands, which voted for leave and which may still be pro-Brexit on balance. So his calculation is not probably going to be shifted in the next couple of weeks by the emergence of this group. So I think it's hard to see this group having the impact in the next couple of weeks that is decisive on Brexit. They're much more looking to beyond that, you know, whether you can supplant the Labour Party or force the Labour Party to change over a couple of years. You mentioned the Conservatives and the potential for them to be joined by some Conservatives. I mean, is this going to be significant number, do you think? Or would it be just one or two? I think probably much closer to one or two. You know, the numbers of pro-EU Conservatives who have voted against the government is around a dozen or slightly fewer. And a couple of them are very, very disaffected. You think of Anna Soubry, Sarah Wollaston... And they're also people who have been targeted by Eurosceptics in their constituencies who say, well, you're not representing us, we want a different MP. Those people have already been working very closely with Chukramuna over Brexit votes to try and coordinate action. And it's possible that they might jump, you know, Nick Bowles, who is actually someone who's voted for the Prime Minister's Brexit deal, but is very anti and no deal Brexit. He hasn't denied that he might be interested in joining this group. He faces deselection by his local party in Grantham. So it's possible, but I think they will be a minority of the new party rather than equal partners. Now, Britain already has a centrist party opposing Brexit, which is the Liberal Democrats. So why didn't this seven simply defect to the Lib Dems? That's a really good question. The Lib Dems on paper are just what a centrist party would want. You know, they're committed to a second referendum on Brexit. They are distinct on economic policy from either the main parties under the Cameron government, in which they were coalition partners. They did some economically sensible things. However, that is their problem. Their branding, their association with the coalition makes them really quite toxic in the eyes of many centre-left voters. And I think across the political spectrum, they're seen as a weak force, a force that has failed to recover really from a hammer blow in the 2015 election when they lost most of their seats. So I think the major reason is that they want a new brand, a new vehicle, something more optimistic. And there's probably a practical reason as well, which is the Lib Dems are a very democratic party. Policies are voted through by members. There's all kinds of procedure. They're actually trying to do internal reforms right now. And these things take a long time. And if you want to actually get things started quickly and you want to make something new, the Lib Dems are probably not the best vehicle. So do you think this move could signal the beginning of a fragmentation of British politics? And if so, do you think this is a good thing? 
the fundamental issue in British politics at the moment is that the major political issue, Brexit, cuts across political parties. So you've got a Remain Leave thing, which is you know very close to half and half the population. And yet the two main parties, Labour and the Conservatives, are at the moment committed to taking Brexit through. And so there are people in both parties who feel very unhappy about that. And that's the fundamental issue. By the way, in terms of fragmentation, these two parties, the Conservatives and Labour, won a huge share of the vote, over 80% of the vote in the last general election. So we're not coming from a backdrop of huge fragmentation. There is, I think, a potential for a strong third force, whether that's in combination with the Liberal Democrats, the Scottish National Party, obviously, and Scotland and Plaid Cymru have made some inroads. But really, it's hard to get past the point that a vote for a third party is much less likely to yield a member of parliament than a vote for one of the main parties. That's just the hard facts of our electoral system. And so you have to really build up very significant momentum before you can have an impact on the parliamentary dynamics. And that is something which these new MPs will have to find some answer to in order to attract donors, voters and fellow MPs. That was Shona Jenkins talking to Henry Mance, FT political correspondent. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com slash offer. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.